Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. And our topical discussion this week is around the apprenticeship programme. The word apprentice has been overused over the last few years and and has started to mean all sorts of different things to different people. But the big game changer has been the introduction of the uh, apprenticeship levy, which is making... It's making waves in in the apprenticeship programme for large and small organisations alike. So we thought we'd focus on that this week. Uh, if you haven't already come across the apprenticeship levy, it's probably because you are not a business uh, turning over more than three million pounds. No, sorry, pay, payroll. Of. Sorry, payroll of three million pounds. I beg your pardon. Uh, so you probably don't apply qualify to pay the levy. But you, if you're a small business, can benefit from the fact that the levy exists. Um, So, yeah. So what have you got on this, Tracy? What have you found? Um, I I find that apprenticeships are a a little bit difficult to plough your way through all of the information. So um, part of my um, tasks for this year with my employer is to introduce an apprenticeship scheme. And also I am studying for a higher apprenticeship. So you would think... I know a bit about it, but as I started to look through uh, the various information available on this, it, it I could sort of see why a lot of people are holding back. So um, I, I went to the HM Revenue and Customs website, first of all, and there's an awful lot of information in there. And it did feel like I, I was going to have to plough through a lot of information. But ultimately, yes, if you're an employer with a payroll of over £3 million a year, you must pay the apprenticeship levy. Now... Because of certain criticisms and and media about this, this is subject to change. So the HM Revenue and Customs said this is being reviewed at the moment, but that is how it stands at the moment. And that if you need to pay the levy, you pay it through the PAYE process, and that's that's how it happens. Um, the you have to register to use the service, and you can then register to use this service. To, to recruit apprentices, to um, receive levy funds for you to spend. So if you pay into the pot, you can also take out from it. You can pay your training provider through the service, manage your apprentices or stop or pause payments to your training provider. If you're not a levy paying employer, you won't be able to register for that online service at the moment. But you can still benefit from it, as you say. That then led me on to look at, OK, so that's... The levy and all of these things apply in England. Is it slightly different in Wales? And so actually I found the Business Wales website really quite simple. There is a lot of information on there. We will put the link on the website, which is the business.community. But on the Business Wales website, it talks you through how to employ an apprentice, um, the Apprenticeship Small Business Employer Incentive Programme. So if you're an SME, there is support to recruit apprentices aged between 16 to 19. Um, The incentive is only available to SMEs who are new to apprenticeships or have not recruited an apprentice in the last 30 months. The support is offered to a maximum of three apprentices per employer and support is available irrespective of the level of the apprenticeship. So I'm doing a level five apprenticeship. There's level four, three, two. Um, I, I haven't seen a level one, but maybe there is. I don't know. Um, and there's a payment of £3,500 per learner for apprentices recruited during the periods of July to September or January to March. And the payment of 
£2,500 per learner for apprentices recruited at other times of the year. And the full payment will be made after the apprentice has been employed for eight months. So that's if you're in Wales and you're an SME, you can go and find out some more information about the Small Business Employer Incentive Programme. And there is also a list of priority sectors that uh, funding is available for. So um, Business Wales um, have identified these um, under... um, underskilled areas mm-hmm. um, and there are pages and pages of them fr- from agriculture to hairdressing and what's really useful about this resource which again we'll put a link to on the website is that it also shows which providers will provide the qualifications at those different levels so for example locally colleague cambria will provide a hairdressing apprenticeship for level two and three but they don't currently provide it for four it's something in in those regions so it's worth looking into. Take a look at the Business Wales website as well. And there's also information on there about how to recruit an apprentice, which is what I'm particularly interested in. There is information in there on how to become an apprentice. But if, you, if you're interested in recruiting an apprentice, you can, first of all, choose the apprenticeship framework in your industry that's at a suitable level. So if you're in um, manufacturing or you maybe you're looking for an engineer, find the right sort of level that you're looking to recruit at, then go and find a provider that offers training at that level. Then you advertise the apprenticeship through the apprenticeship matching service and then you negotiate the salary and off you go. Now, what I don't know and would be interesting to find out more about is how you're then supported through that. I can sort of see what happens with me. Now, my training provider comes into my workplace and checks up on me on a regular basis Um, and I assume that if you're a 16 to 19 year old that is particularly important for a 47 year old woman working in a professional department it seems a little bit unusual that they ask me about certain things that seem to be aimed at 16 to 19 year olds but presumably that framework is just settling itself in so yeah lots lots of information but my caveat there is there is a lot of information as well so maybe once you've identified that you're potentially interested it might be worth going straight to the provider because there will be experts in apprenticeships who actually uh, are placed at those providers so College Cambria and Llandrithlo College and the universities they're all providing apprenticeships at the moment so maybe go straight to them to to plough through the information. There'll certainly be experts in the funding streams and how it all works. And of course, if you have a payroll of of three million pounds, you're going to be quite a large organisation. And it's the smaller organisations where there seems to be some reluctance to to the take up. I mean, essentially what's happening is that the the larger organisations are subsidising the cost of the apprenticeship programmes within the smaller organisations. And yes, you can draw out if you're one of the big boys, but it, it's quite it's quite difficult for the smaller organisations. Essentially, you will pay, if you're a non-levy paying employer, you share the cost of the, the training and assessing with the government. And this is called co-investment. Uh, from May 2017, you will pay 10% towards the cost of apprenticeship training and the government will pay the rest up to the funding band maximum. You can find out a lot of information about how the funding actually works via the gov.uk website. But I, I received People Management uh, magazine 
uh, which is produced by the CIPD. And there was an article this month, actually, about um, small is beautiful for apprentices. And it says that uh, the... um, SMEs have been slow to take up apprenticeships as most don't pay the levy that came into force last year. So they don't automatically have access to the digital accounts required to officially administer new starts because all the money is moving around virtually effectively. Uh, The government has already broadened the remit for the levy by announcing that employers will be able to share their funds with companies in their supply chain. So if you are a a smaller organisation, you can group together So that might be really uh, useful for particular industry sectors. Uh, But, you know, there is there is a lot of talk that it is essentially just a tax. In fact, um, Sir John Timpson from the high street store Timpsons, uh, he says that, you know, basically it's tantamount to another another level of taxation. But I wouldn't be put off if you're a small organisation. I think it's worth pursuing. It just means that you might have to come at it from a slightly different angle. Reading an article in the Retail Gazette, um, a lot of the comments that were made by um, contributors to the the article were saying that it seems to be an administrative issue rather than yes. theoretical yeah. and that the, it's not an industry-wide or, or sector-wide reluctance to invest in staff, but that, that it's this clunky system. Mm. As I say, trying to wade through all the information, even just to, to do a 10-minute slot in a show I found quite cumbersome. Mm, mm. So if you're trying to do that and run your business, it might be putting em- employers off investing their time in actually just setting up the yeah. system. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, in, in Personnel Today, um, there's an article there about the cultural shift and it may be that we need to change our attitude and perception of what an apprentice is. You know, So typically, um, colleagues might think of the apprentices with with quite a, an outdated or, or negative outlook. So th- there's a little bit of cultural change to go on as well. But I think apprenticeships are the thing of the moment. And if the companies are there and they, they tap into this resource, there's an awful lot of benefit that they can gain from it. And it's a great opportunity to shape your future staff. Yes, as part of the apprenticeship scheme, you have modules and elements that you have to complete. But there is some flexibility within that as to which... Uh, units the the apprentice completes they can be units that are particularly relevant to your business so then you could argue that at the end of the apprenticeship program you've got somebody who is verified as being adept in certain areas whereas if you take somebody off the street they tell you that they've got experience in a particular area of your work you kind of have to take their word for it and looking at it from the point of view of the apprentice there'd be increasingly popular routes instead of university. We all know about the the cost of going and doing a university degree. And yeah. um, what you get with the apprenticeship is you get the work experience and you get paid. So you can get a level four, level five qualification, which, which is looking at sort of university level qualifications. So I think it, it's worth considering from both an employer and from an employee point of view? I think the one thing that often employers um, are mistaken in is that you aren't just given an apprentice. It isn't a case of we've got an apprentice and we're going to put it in your organisation. There is an interview process. It is a case of selecting the right person. And the stronger your relationship with the training provider, the better placed you are to get a really good candidate that's a good fit for your business. 
Now, at this part of the show, we like to share some interesting news and events that uh, we think you might be interested in to do with the world of business. And I'm going to kick off by giving a shout out to the 360 Networking event that's taking place next Tuesday, the 10th of April. And it looks to me like they've got a change of venue. So for the last few months, it's been at the library in Wrexham. Now, this one on Tuesday, the 10th of April is advertised at being at the Atrium Suite in Redwither Tower on Wrexham Industrial Estate. So if you're planning on going, please note the change of venue there. There is free parking available immediately outside the building and the event is from 5pm to 6.45pm and the guest speaker this week is Neil Thompson of Avenue Marketing Centre and the topic is Introducing Expertise Marketing. And the little blurb that goes with it says that trust is a key factor when it comes to sales and marketing. And for the most part, people trust experts. So demonstrating your expertise in your field, niche or industry is an important way of boosting sales. Also, there will be a feature on using Welsh for business. There is a project um, called Welsh for business and a lady called Fionn Whittam will be talking to you about how you can use the Welsh language to benefit your business with some information about free advice and support that's available. If you want to book, you can go to wrexham.gov.uk forward slash 360 attend. And as usual, we will put the link for that on our website, which is thebusiness.community. And also I was uh, having a look around the HM Revenue and Customs website and I, I came across um, a little resource here for primary school children, Catch em Young. And it's a simple introduction to tax. It's a video for 8 to 11 year olds which explains that taxes provide the money needed to pay for things that are essential to their families, to the communities and to society as a whole. I can think of a few um, major business leaders who perhaps need to watch this, never mind eight to 11 year olds. So the video is available on YouTube. It's also available on the HM Revenue and Customs website. There are also free teachers resources available and uh, these are available in both English and Welsh as is the video and these are available from the Times Educational Supplement website. Links for these will be available on our website, again, that is the business.community. Heather, what have you got? Uh, I've got a couple of events taking place later this month. The first one, I'm heading over to um, to your turf, your home turf, uh, Tracy. We're heading over to the potteries because I think it's useful sometimes to get out of area and meet businesses out of your normal circle. So this is an event being run by Staffordshire Chamber of Commerce over at Burslem. And it's uh, an event where three award-winning local leaders talk about their values and their employees. It's on Tuesday, the 17th of April, between 8 and 10. And uh, we have a lady called Kate Beardmore, a guy called Alan Rogers and Caroline Brown. Kate Beardmore runs um, Synetic Solutions. She is the service delivery director. Uh, They won the Chamber's Business of Year Award in 2016 and the Science, Technology and Innovation Award in 2017. She's also the Institute of Directors 
best director in a family business. Uh, she talks about uh, the core purpose being the people being a people-centered company that delivers the highest level of innovation and service. We don't just hire resource, we employ the whole person, which I think is really interesting. Uh, Alan Rogers, uh, co-founder of a company called Rizual. Uh, they are a digital organization. They were listed in the 100, 100 best uh, small companies uh, in 2016. And he says that Rizual is absolutely committed to making sure every employee enjoys coming through the doors every morning. And finally, a lady called Caroline Brown, managing director of I think it's Kaya, C-A-J-A. They were new business of the year uh, in the FSB Business Awards in 2016. Uh, They were nominated in Chamber Awards last year. And she says that they have a wealth of talent, knowledge and hands-on expertise. The event runs from 8 till 10. It's £18 to attend. As I say, it's a good opportunity to start networking slightly out of area and picking up tips and ideas from people that you haven't met before. And secondly, one back on our our home ground on April the 18th, that's the next day. It's a money penny tour, but I'm particularly interested in the talk that is happening. It's a free event. Uh, It's about digital marketing, DIY digital marketing for businesses. Uh, it's at the Money Penny offices here at Wrexham. It runs from 9 till 11.30. The 18th of April is a Wednesday. And it looks at your digital marketing strategy, website marketing, moving up the Google listings, email marketing, Facebook and content marketing. Delivered by a guy called Eddie Webb from InSync, who has 20 years experience in the industry. It's a subject that we have to keep revisiting. And I always find it useful just to you know, get my head around another thing to start trying to do. So I might check my diary and see if I can attend that. That's the 18th of April. It's time for our review section. And this week we're focusing on what I think is an amazing book. Uh, You may have heard of Daniel Priestley. Uh, I had the pleasure to see him speaking at a conference about 10 years ago now. uh, And his well-known book, uh, Becoming a Key Person of Influence. Now, first of all, when my husband saw me uh, drag this book off the bookshelf again yesterday, he said, KPI, that's not a key person of influence. That's something completely different. Key performance indicator. Key performance indicator. And I said, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, So we're not talking about KPIs in that regard. We're talking about the five-step sequence to becoming one of the most highly valued and highly paid people in your industry. Now, okay, take that with, you know, a pinch of salt. But... This book has got some real gems in it and I'd forgotten, it's it's quite a while since I looked at it and I'd forgotten what a good sort of manual it is almost to work your way through. There are loads of sound bits of advice and, and the book is written in a really easy, accessible way. It's not it's not lightweight, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a reasonable book, but it has exercises in it that gets you thinking about things. And I quite like that. Uh, But he starts by saying, the world has changed and so must you. And I think that, you know, what he's saying is, in order to be a key person of influence, you've got to use the resources that are available to you now to put yourself out there and get yourself out there in the ways that perhaps once upon a time we wouldn't have thought of because the world is a smaller place now. And we can be accessible to so many different people 
if we find our niche and uh, and or our micro niche uh you've read this book tracy oh yeah i read it a while ago and uh, it was a joy to get it out again to review it i i I remembered that I liked it, but then I, rereading it. So you've got the hard copy, I've mm. got the Kindle version. And there were so many things that I'd already highlighted. And I went back to, oh, oh yes, it it's inspirational. Now, I have to give a caveat here. I found the first half of the book really inspirational. Mm-hmm. And then twice I've read it and twice I've, n- I've sort of stopped before I've got beyond into the second half. I've scan read the second half. Uh, but it, it's the first bits. It's it's little things that I just picked up that really resonated with me and I guess where I was at the time when I first read it. And now it's confirming some of the things that I'd taken on board at that point. I, he starts off by saying, and this is in the introduction, at the centre of every industry, you will find an inner circle of people who are the most well-known and highly valued people. They are the key people of influence. You probably already know these people in your industry. Their names come up in conversation for all the right reasons. Mm. They attract a lot of opportunities, the right sort. They earn more money than most, and it isn't a struggle. They can make a project successful if they're involved and people know it. So these key people of influence have more fun. They get invited on trips away. People buy them dinner and drinks and give them VIP treatment. Now, these people are in demand. They don't chase opportunities. They curate them. Who who doesn't want that? What I really liked is he then quickly goes on to say that people think that it takes years or decades or to come from a wealthy family or to have degrees and doctorates to become a KPI. He says there are pe- plenty of people who have been in an industry for years who are not a key person of influence. There are plenty of MBAs and PhDs who are not yet KPIs. There are people with talent and people born into privileged families who aren't KPIs either. I think it sort of gives hope that mm. if, if you look at it from a slightly different angle. And he talks later on in the book about the difference between these types of people, the ones that are functional and, and the ones that are, are going to go on to become the KPIs instead. Yeah, he talks about functional people and vital people. And for example, he says a functional person wants to get more. A vital person wants to produce more. A functional person wants to learn more. Vital person wants to share more. Functional person wants to be shown a path. A vital person wants to create one. I think that's fantastic. And a functional person is worn out by their functionality, whereas a vital person is re-energised by their vitality. And that sounds, you know, you could think that sounds a bit trite. It isn't. It's a fact. If you can feed off your own energy and vitality, you're going to give that off. Uh, and that is going to help to make you a go-to person because people will be attracted to that by you. The other thing I like about the book is that it, and in each chapter, he, he gives a set of exercises yeah. which are, are really positive. And I looked at these for the second time and, and I, it just made me want to start writing and, and start thinking. And, you know, to do that important thing, which is to take a step back from your world and see if it needs reinventing. What well, One of the things that inspired me at the time was he said that your best thinking five years ago is your baggage today. And unless we can let go of everything we currently think and do, we will fail to see the opportunities of tomorrow. So I just, I'll just go to the first set of exercises that he gives. There are loads of them that I've highlighted in here and I, I want to come back to. So this is looking at the, your passion and your vitality 
and and that becomes the asset in the world that you live in. So what comes easy to you that is harder for others? If you got to do a month of fully paid work experience in any industry, job, business or hobby, what would you do? Now, that's a question. Is mm, anything mm. you wanted to do? If you or your team had to apply your skills to something purely for the fun of it, what project would you like to work on? And what did you discover about yourself when you answered these questions? I just want to get stuck into yeah. those exercises. What if you could just do something for mm. fun? What if, if you could work on whatever you wanted to? It builds a little bit on the Thinking Outside of the Box event that we went to up at uh, Chester Uni uh, a few weeks ago. That whole almost throw away everything that you believe to be true and and you know just write down crazy thinking and and see what that gives you and what what you get from that which I think is really enlightening I, I agree I wanted to get myself a really nice big notepad and sit and just work my way through this book again uh, he he talks about a five-step sequence and he expands upon this but I will just He's, he, uh, what I like about him is that he likes alliteration and I love alliteration myself. So he talks about pitch, know and communicate your micro niche, your niche. Sti you know, stick. Don't try to be jack of all trades and master of none. Find that thing, that that gem and go for it and, and, and be the expert in that. Publish, gain credibility through a book. Write a book. Think about stuff that you've already written, blogs uh, that you've already uh, put together how could you turn that into a, into a book productize turn what you know into product and find a way then a route to market profile raise your profile and google well so you know be aware of who you are out there in the virtual world as much as anything and partnering forge joint ventures and partnerships with people seek out people who you could work with to a mutual benefit because then you both two people together you, you raise each other it, it, it's it's a it's a it's a brilliant book it's a brilliant book i'll just end on this one then um, because i think there's such such an important idea it says your best ideas come out to play not to work and if you look at the top earners they don't consider what they do to be work they're playing a game that they love and they make sure that it stays fun Business gurus feature highly in this show and we're always on the lookout to find out who you perceive to be a leader in business, somebody who has a message, a story, something that inspires and something that you refer back to. And of course, we always want to hear about that. So you can do that via our podcast. You can leave a comment. Uh, if you just go to thebusiness.community and let us know your thoughts, we'll look them up, Google them and, uh, and share our views and ideas. But this week, we're looking at a list that was generated. So it's one of those things, isn't it, that, you know, somebody produces a list. The top 20 most searched for business leaders in 2017. In the UK. In the UK. And we're all over it like a rash. We're thinking, great, OK, who's going to feature on this list? And guess what? Number one, Alan Sugar, Sir. Alan Sugar, businessman, entrepreneur, media personality and politician. So Tracy and I start thinking, well, OK, what what's that telling us? And it's kind of telling us that he's famous. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's famous for being famous. He's famous for being famous. That's not to say that he hasn't had some success in business. 
But he, building on the key person of influence thing that we've just been talking about, maybe he's a really good self-publicist and he has made himself a key person of influence through lots of different channels as well as running his businesses. But the list is, is, is full of unknowns as far as I'm concerned what what did you find Tracy was there people on there that other people on there that you recognize well I think when I first looked at it I was um I was conscious of the fact obviously Alan Sugar was at the top and um we got Peter Jones on there who's who's known for being on Dragon's yeah. Den and he's Richard quite near Branson. the bottom and Richard yeah, Branson. um Richard Branson number 18 and then I, I had a look to see where the list had been compiled and it was compiled by a what they describe themselves as global business intelligence experts, credit safe. So I'm guessing they're looking at it from the point of view of people who've perhaps done credit searches on these mm. people and maybe they're thinking of going into business with these people. May, maybe they're thinking of joint ventures and they need to know their background. And and I tend to do this. I've never used credit safe. Um, maybe something worth looking at. There are, uh, If you go to Business Line, they do have access. Business Line and Wrexham do have access to credit searches. So you could go on there and, and they'd be able to do credit searches on companies and company directors. I would often look at companies' house. So mm. if I, even if I was just going for an interview, I'd look up the directors, see what else they're involved in on companies' house. If I was going, obviously looking at a business that was um, I was looking to do business with, whether it's a supplier or a customer, I would go on to companies' house and I'd look at their accounts to mm. see if they're in a going concern. And but. And, you know, part of that would be then looking further into the directors. So I wonder if this sort of list is made up of people who've, who've looked into them from that point of view and, and in terms of doing business with them rather than because they're influential or because they are self-publicists. Although Alan Sugar does stand out quite a lot as, at the top as being the most famous by far on that list. But then I suppose... That there's there's an element of it that makes me think that you know if you if you're presented with a search portal of some kind and you're thinking right okay you want some context all right let's see what they say about Alan Sugar you know who's the first person Alan Sugar Richard Branson Peter Jones they have you know they're well known names and then without wishing to talk down any of the other people who are on the list uh, a lot of them they're just uk business directors and when you search for them they're about you know 50 people with the same names who hold um positions of office within limited companies in the, in the uk yeah we found one guy who's got 45 um, appointments so he's got either company secretary or company director 45 and and it makes interesting reading and this is all freely available on the company's house website yeah yep. go and have a look yourself yeah so so it, it's a I suppose it's the the list f- appeared on growthbusiness.co.uk. It was on a on a website compiled by uh, Credit Safe. I went to have a look at Credit Safe's accounts, and whilst I'm you know this is not good bedtime reading for me. Uh, essentially, what it demonstrates is that there's quite a lot of money to be made out of running credit searches on people. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you're regulated, and and I don't know how if somebody had a a negative report or a, a less than glowing uh, report, what's your comeback? You know, what if somebody has searched on this 
this portal and decided not to go into business with Alan Sugar based on what they found out. What what recourse has, has he got? I, it's it's a whole. I know from a personal point of view. Um, obviously the there are ones that look at personal um credit worthiness for like Equifax and, and things, things like, like that. that yeah. yeah. Um, and you, there is a recourse. You can complain if there's incorrect data on there. You can ask them to remove it. But obviously, sometimes the damage has already been done by mm. then. But there would be, particularly under the new legislation that's coming out, GDPR, more on that over the coming weeks, then there would be a, a right to have this data corrected or even removed. Um, right. So it, it doesn't have to stay there. But I, w- I was just looking at one of the others. And number five is Glenn Tamplin. I've never heard of him before until this. But he's a director of a steel company. But he also owns Billericay Town Football Club. And it, it's probably to do with that. He's become quite famous. He's made national headlines after signing some former Premier League players for Billericay Town. So, right. you know, perhaps you've got the media wanting to write articles on him or people who are interested in Bill Ricky Town wanting to find out about his business dealings. So, you know, oh, and he's recently had a driving ban and a hefty fine. So those sorts of things make the headlines, even though we've never heard of him. Yes. For some people, uh, being a director of a steel company and a, a an owner of Bill Ricky Town, um, that it's, it's obviously an interest in a certain sector. But... Uh, it's clear that people are going to search for business failures. They're going to search for celebrities and they're going to search for people who've made the, the news. But I think this list does show that you know, hopefully people are also searching to understand the risks involved in, in going into business with somebody. And that has to be, I mean, that's the thing I take from it is just reminding myself that sometimes you do just need to, in the same way, if you are buying something from somebody and you're going to invest ten thousand pounds you would do your research wouldn't you well if if you're going to if you're going to go into business with somebody or or sell to somebody you want to know that they're good for that ten thousand pounds coming into your business so i think i probably as a sole trader touch wood i've been very fortunate up until now but that doesn't mean you know maybe i need to do a bit more of a a check on people that i'm uh, that i'm doing work for well i'm proud of you for uh, getting the accounts for credit safe Yeah, yeah, brownie points for me for that. (laughs) Yeah, they're quite they're quite comprehensive, and as I say, it's it's not a bad it's not a bad gig, I would say. (laughs) You've been listening to the business community with me, Tracy Jones, and me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views, and reviews from the world of business. (laughs) 